Hello and welcome to Sprott Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Partner at Sprott. With me today is one of our returning guests, Ronnie Stofflin, Managing Partner of Incrementum AG and responsible for research and portfolio management. Ronnie, thank you for joining us today on Sprott Radio. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me again. Well, Ronnie, we're going to get right into this. You know, this year's Engolbury Trust Report is titled Showdown. Uh, walk us through what led you and your team to this title. You know, coming up with a with a good um, title or leitmotiv of the report is, is is always a pretty intense discussion. And we said, well, actually, there's so much going on in the world when it comes to geopolitics, when it comes to to central banks, to interest rates, when it comes to financial markets, when it comes to the price of gold. How can we come up with a with a term or a title that that actually combines? Uh, all those various topics. And um, if you if you have a look at the dictionary, what what showdown means, it says it's a conclusive settlement of an issue or a difference in which all resources, power, or the like are used. A decisive confrontation. And I think that perfectly sums up the three showdowns that we're seeing. We're seeing a monetary policy showdown. We're seeing a geopolitical showdown that is associated with de-dollarization. A topic that we are writing about for, for quite a while and that, that is now becoming mainstream. And then we're seeing the showdown in the gold price. So, so we're pretty happy to have chosen um, this title. I think it's, it's, it's a very good fit. So throughout the whole report, we, we try to explain why we're moving into an environment where there's probably going to be some sort of a final showdown happening. You're in your second decade of doing this report. I think if I read it correctly, you, your, your first report came out in 2007. And so you've got a lot of information and a lot of research. Let's, let's go into the radical monetary tightening that we've been seeing out there. It seems extremely stubborn when you talk about inflation, even with all the stuff that the Fed has done. Is there a way for that to finally cool? You know, what's your view on that? What, what do we need to see happen? Short answer, recession. Actually, the, the, the recessionary clouds that are getting darker and darker, that's, that's a core topic of this year's uh, report where we, first of all, make the case for, for a recession um, that is really becoming more and more of our, of our base case scenario. And then we crunch the numbers and analyze what, um, what asset classes work best in the various stages of a recession. And, and from my point of view, I mean, Ed, one year ago, um, if you would have told me that that interest rate will go above five percent in the United States, and that we are not in a recession, and that equity markets are close to all-time highs, and that the gold price is trading close to all-time highs, I would have said no, not gonna happen. Here we are. I think that the time lags that are involved always underestimated by central bankers. So we call this the tequila theory of money. I'm, I'm, thank God I'm, I'm, I'm not in the age where, where I'm drinking tequila shots anymore. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I was a student and, and, I, and I had my days or, or, or evenings. You know, if, 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 if you have a couple of tequila shots, you're, you're starting to, to go wild. You have a good time. You've got fun. And then uh, next day you wake up uh, and don't remember anything. But the analogy that I want to make is that the time lags are completely forgotten with drinking tequila shots, but also when it comes to central bank policy. So we're now only slowly seeing the consequences of this 
enormous rise in interest rate. And first of all, it is historic. It's the most aggressive rate hike cycle basically of the last 40 years. And it was totally unexpected. And I have to tell you, Ed, I didn't see it uh, coming. And I don't know any strategist, any analyst, any economist who actually forecasted this brutal move on the, on the rate side. So therefore, I think we're now starting to see more and more signs that, that this rapid rise in interest rate has consequences, negative consequences. And I think the Federal Reserve, by looking mostly at uh, economic indicators that basically tell us what has happened in the past, they also completely underestimate those time lags involved. And, you know, they overease and uh, then they have to over tighten and, and then it, it starts again. So, so we're seeing that. Therefore, my scenario is I think we're very, very close to the point uh, in time where the market will realize the emperor has no clothes. We will see that they hit the pause button. They will have to reverse their policy pretty quickly. And this will probably be the point in time when gold really takes off. Well, you know, you, you talk about the resiliency of, of the economy. And I guess now we're probably about a month or two into it. The banking crisis, or was it a crisis, happened. And it seems like that's been yesterday's news already. Do you think that was simply just a blip or a byproduct of this? Or do you see this is something you know longer term? Are the real issues starting to present themselves in the market? I think it's a little bit too simplistic to just blame the, the collapse of those regional banks, you know, Silicon Valley and then and, and, and Signature, uh, First Republic, just to poor management and, you know, their exposure to the stumbling technology sector. And we know that technology is a basically a high duration asset class. So they're suffering from those rate hikes pretty quickly and are extremely rate sensitive. So actually three of the four largest US bank failures in history took place over the last couple of weeks. And, and I think when it comes to seeing the impact on markets, I think the Federal Reserve, also the, the, the whole administration, they reacted pretty quickly. And we could tell that actually now the Federal Reserve is facing not a dilemma, but a trilemma. It's first of all, killing inflation. Then on the second hand, avoiding a major recession. And then the third thing is the stability of financial markets and the uh, stability of our banking system. Crises always start at the periphery, pockets of the market where everybody says, well, this is, you know, um, this is just poor management. Yeah, this is a, a scam. This is a Ponzi scheme, whatever. This is just because of the, the nature of this country, whatever. But those are all signs that, that actually those business models that were basically addicted to low interest rates, they don't work at 5% anymore. Yeah? And it's, we're seeing it in the banking space, we're seeing it in technology, we're seeing it in the crypto space, we're seeing it in real estate. So, so therefore, I think the longer the Federal Reserve tries to stay on the hawkish side, the worse it will be. We talked a lot about the financial risk out there. Let's shift gears for a second and talk about geopolitical risk. A lot of stuff has been happening both here and abroad. What are some of the risks you're seeing out there? And also, does that present some opportunities going forward? When it comes to this growing political self-confidence of the BRICS nations, I think it's just a logical consequence of their increasing economic importance. So measured in, in purchasing power parity, these countries have, a, have had a higher aggregate GDP than the G7 countries since 2021. 
And it's not only the BRICS countries. There's, I think, 17 countries that now want to join the BRICS. We are seeing the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, getting more and more important. So I think that those are the countries where the majority of the growth is, where demographics are much more favorable than, than in the Western world. I mean, obviously, China is a big exception because they've got the same demographic problems like we do. Those are the countries where 87% of our currency reserves are. The countries where actually productivity and capital formation is happening and where gold obviously also has a higher importance than in the Western world. So the fact that last year we saw a new all-time high in central bank gold buying, I think that's no coincidence because last year... We wrote about that and we actually forecasted that. The fact that the Western world, with the stroke of a pen, basically said the Russian currency reserves, they are worthless. Of course, this changes the view that, that other nations have on holding their reserves in US dollars and US treasuries. I think gold will play a major role in that game because you want to have a reserve currency that is highly liquid, that doesn't have any counterparty risk that is accepted all over the globe and that has quite a sophisticated infrastructure for trading. And I think that gold qualifies pretty well for, for those requirements. We always think that the price of gold is being made in the Western world. If you have a look at the numbers, if you go to Dubai, if you go to Shanghai, if you go to Mumbai, you actually can tell that for those nations, uh, gold is much, much more important than in the Western world. And if you have a look at consumer demand, if you have a look at central bank demand, but also if you have a look at gold production, where China and Russia are the two leading producers of gold, you can tell that, that actually I think the center of the gold world is more and more going into the emerging markets. Can we talk a little bit about commodities in general? You do a really nice job in the most recent report talking about other metals besides just gold and or silver. Talk a bit about commodities. What are we seeing in, in that part of the market and what's your outlook there? Well, I think for, for, for commodities, I think we're in a secular bull market. And, and the basis of my positive outlook is, first of all, the CapEx cycle. So if you understand this lack of investment that, that has happened over the, the last couple of years. What's the saying? The cure for high prices is high prices. And I would say that this lack of investments into new projects, into exploration, also into manpower, I think that's one of the main cases for higher commodity prices. Then we're seeing, obviously, this increasing focus on fiscal support measures is also having an impact on commodity prices. I think that's clearly the big difference compared to 2008, 2009, where, you know, the, the new big thing was quantitative easing. And, you know, it, it worked kind of with a, with a time lag. But in 2020, we saw over the course of the COVID crisis, it wasn't only monetary stimulus, it was also massive fiscal stimulus. So I think that fiscal stimulus will continue to be a major driver. The next thing is that institutional investors are highly underweighted or not invested at all in the commodities. So I think if my case for structurally higher inflation plays out, then I think those large institutional players will have to start allocating capital in the commodity space again. 
we're seeing that to some degrees when it comes to critical metals. Um, I think it was kind of a wake-up call last year that we in the Western world, uh, we realized, well, actually, a reliable access to commodities is just necessary for our industry. So there was a paradigm shift and, and thinking about the importance of commodities. And then the next thing, and, and this is probably not a, a thing that uh, we want to hear, but during times of war and during times of deglobalization, during times of friendshoring and so on, um, this also usually positively affects the commodity space because we have to rearm, we have to reshore, we have to restock and invest, and we also have to rewire the grid when it comes to the energy transition, for example. Yeah, and that's, that's something I think that's not going away, particularly if we want to get to a carbon neutral future by 2050. All these metals are needed. As you say in the in Goldberg Trust report, we're going to need more of all of them, right? Also, now mining has become top of mind with a, with a lot of investors in the market and the economy. To achieve the net zero emissions goal, the world would need 54% additional copper by 2030. You know, there, there, there was a study by the International Renewable Energy Agency. And of course, they're, they're somewhat biased, yeah. But they calculated if we want to achieve the 1.5% target by 2050 investments of 150 trillion US dollars are necessary. So I would say that, uh, you know, I know that the topic of, of commodities is a controversial one, but I think we clearly, if we want to achieve those goals, would need much, much more mining and not less mining. I think that's a very, very important message. And therefore, we always write about the ESG developments that we're seeing in the mining space and and i think you know all those people just criticizing commodities and mining most of them have never been to a mine i i think that's the reality even if you cut those numbers and estimates in half they're still staggering numbers so i think we're somewhere in between maximum capacity and and, and and none so i think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out i want to do what i like to call now a speed round and give you a couple words and then get your reaction to those words uh so if you're if you're game for that i'd love to do that with you um you know for example when i say the word inflation what comes to mind central bankers perfect uh how about debt too much <laughs> how about de-dollarization happening and you just mentioned this one, ESG. Important. So I think it's it's really, really important to communicate what mining companies do for the infrastructure, for hospitals, buildings, schools, access to clean water, providing very high paying jobs. I think that's, that's really, really important, especially these days. So um, yeah, that's something that I'm really, that I really care about. And that's something mining companies have been doing forever, right? It's not just a popular thing. This is something they've done for decades. Um, how about silver? A little bit too soon now, but it's, it's going to have its day. We've got a brilliant chapter about silver again. And I think, you know, if my recession call plays out, then it's probably still a bit too early. Because in the earlier parts of a recession, silver tends to underperform. But once this reflation happens... There, there will be a fantastic opportunity in the silver space, especially as the demand side is becoming that attractive with the, the solar industry 
being a significant driver on the demand side. Well, at the risk of, of really changing the term speed round, I have to ask you also, mining stocks. What, what's, what's going on with mining stocks? Volatility. Just the last 12 months were, were just a, a perfect example of this enormous uh, volatility that we're seeing in the mining space. And volatility can be your enemy, but it can also be your friend. And I think if you traded that cycle well, you could make staggering performance in, in, the, in the mining space. I think, Ed, what's, what's important now is that if you have a look at risk appetite, you know, the large royalty and streaming companies like, like Wheaton, like Franco, they're trading pretty close to their all-time highs, while the larger names, you know, the top three producers, they're still trading way below their all-time highs. And then it, when it comes to the developers, when it comes to the juniors, they're way underwater. And this clearly tells me, well, actually, there's no risk appetite in the mining space at the moment. This will probably change, but what's most important for a longer term investor is the fact that actually the mining space, um, the valuation and, 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 and let's say the balance sheets that I'm seeing in the mining space, they're pretty attractive. I'm seeing pristine balance sheets. I'm seeing free cash flow generation. I see that companies got their costs under control. We've seen massive deleveraging in the mining space. We're seeing pretty stable margins. So actually this in combination with uh, extremely negative sentiment and with the price of gold that seems to be breaking out at some point uh, due to the showdown, I think that's a pretty interesting setup. Well, that gets me to my last question, which is the one that I think everybody wants to know. You know, at Sprott, we're always reluctant to give forecasts, right? Because um, let's be honest, they're, they're very hard to, to do. But in Gold Retrust, you've done a phenomenal job of really breaking down the potential outlook for gold in the short term, you know, midterm, and, and more importantly, the longer term, right? You know, most investors invest in gold for decades, not days. So I'd love to hear your view and, and close out this podcast with your view on gold in the short term as well as over the long term. What what are you guys anticipating based off all the research you've done? What are you seeing from a price standpoint? Today we're trading around hundred bucks below all time highs. I can tell you that people couldn't care less about gold at the moment. Prices being only a little bit below all-time highs and not too much interest. From a contrarian point of view, that's, that's an exciting setup. I don't see that central banks really will be able to continue this uh, hawkish stance that they have. I don't buy into the narrative that, that Jay Powell is the new Paul Foker. It's just... I think he would like to be. I would also like to be, I don't know, Lionel Messi or, 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 or Tom Brady or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's just not. <laughs> uh, well, he's not tall enough. Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah. um, but the thing is, just when it comes to the, to the level of debt, not only you know for, for private individuals, but also when it comes to businesses, the financial space, and then most importantly, government debt. Jay Powell is just in a completely different position compared to Paul Volcker back in the days. And I would also argue that Paul Volcker had the full support of the White House. Paul Volcker caused two nasty uh, recessions, back-to-back -back recessions, basically. I'm not sure if Jay Powell will really have the full support of the White House once unemployment goes up significantly and once the US enters a recession. Now, to answer your question, we crunched the numbers regarding our recession model. 
And um, based on that, we would see over the next 12 months, gold trading around 2,300 US dollars. Based on our long-term price forecast, we would have to hit 4,800 US dollars by the end of this decade. Now, this might, might sound like a really wild forecast, but that's on average, I think, 12.4% per year until 2030. Now, actually, from the year 2000 until now, the average yearly performance of gold in US dollar terms was 9.3% and in euro terms, 8.9%. So it's, it's not that outlandish. And I think if you compare it to the previous big bull market in the 1970s, we saw this massive mid-cycle correction from 1974 till 1976, which was disinflationary, which also went hand in hand with the, with the major recession. So back then, the price of gold uh, in 1976 ended up at 100 bucks. And I think if you would have called 850 US dollars within four years, people would have said, you know, not going to happen. That's like a Mad Max scenario. It happened. So obviously, I don't want to rule out my forecast. I think it is realistic, actually, especially in an environment where inflation is becoming much more of a topic in the financial markets. I think there's very, very few people that actually know how to navigate in an inflationary environment because we're also used to this great moderation for decades of falling inflation, four decades of low inflation volatility. Actually, for portfolio construction, inflation has never been like the main, the central issue. It's never been really a, a, a central point when you, you allocated capital. Now, if you talk to people from Turkey, for example, if you talk to people from high inflation countries, well, for them, actually, having a high allocation in gold and in real assets, in commodities, is just natural. Because for them, probably the, 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 the first view that they want to have when it comes to portfolio construction is the topic of inflation. And I think that we will come back to this environment where for asset allocators, inflation will become more and more important. And in this environment, I just don't see gold not being a major diversifier for your portfolio. Well, we've certainly seen it over the last couple of decades relative to the S&P, relative to bonds, and even in the face of a strong dollar, gold has done very well for the last few decades. So I think you're right. You know, it'll be interesting to see. And, and I guess for those investors or those listeners out there that want to learn more about what you do at, at Incrementum, how can investors accessing gold we trust, read all these great research reports you've done? What's the best way to find you and get the information you, you provide to all of us? It's fairly easy. We've got a webpage, ingoldwetrust.report, where you can find the ingoldwetrust report in the normal version, which is 420 pages. But I know that not everybody is keen on reading <laughs> 420 pages about the topic of gold. So there's also a compact version. There's videos, we've got infographs, we've got the In Gold We Trust Nuggets, where we just publish like small parts of the report. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm tweeting out uh, lots of charts and thoughts on not only gold, but also markets in general, and then odd things like um, uh, uh, soccer over here in Austria. <laughs> 
So yeah, just just have a look at ingoldbetrust.report. Our company is called Incrementum. We're we're um, a boutique asset manager based in Liechtenstein. We manage funds uh, primarily, I would say, in the real asset space, commodity space, gold. So that's that's where we feel comfortable. And I have to thank Sprott and all our other premium partners because we try to make a difference. We want to educate people about sound money, about topics like inflation, financial repression, stuff like that. But we've got a team of 20 people working on this report. So it's also a massive investment and it wouldn't be possible without the support of our premium partners to publish such a report totally for free. So thank you very much to, to Sprott, to the whole team. It's, it's, it's overwhelming the, the amount of positive feedback that we get. So thank you very much for, for, for the support of Sprott. I always enjoy reading it. It's, it's one of the few reports that you start your day reading with a coffee. And by the time you're done, you're having a cocktail because it is over 400 pages. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's a lot of great stuff. And I live the next year off of this report with all the talking points that you provide. So I encourage everybody to go on the website and, and take a look at it in Goal We Trust and, and, and read it at your leisure. It's a really great read. Well, Ronnie, it's always great to have you on Sprott Radio. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank very highly of you and all the work you do. So you know, once again, thank you for being on Sprott Radio. Thank you very much, Ed. Once again, I'm your host, Ed Coyne, and you're listening to Sprott. Thank you. This podcast is provided for information purposes only from sources believed to be reliable. However, Sprott does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. Any opinions and estimates constitute our judgment as of the date of this material and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This communication is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. Any opinions and recommendations herein do not take into account individual client circumstances, objectives or needs and are not intended as recommendations of particular securities, financial instruments or strategies. You must make your own independent decisions regarding any securities, financial instruments or strategies mentioned or related to the information herein. This communication may not be redistributed or retransmitted in whole or in part or in any form or manner without the express written consent of Sprott. Any unauthorized use or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and review of this information constitutes your agreement not to redistribute or retransmit the contents and information contained in this communication without first obtaining express permission from an authorized officer of Sprott.